And our second reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? he inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother, and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Well, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, We've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Gareth. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Can you hear me? Yeah. Cool. Uh, I'm Gareth. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm married to Rosie and Henry, who were at the front with me uh, just, the, uh, just before. Um, yes, we came to Reading about 18 months ago, and we've been coming to St. Matthew's for about, well, uh, since last summer. So, to begin, shall we pray? Thank you, Lord. For your holy word. Thank you that you speak to us and that you show us how and where to go. Lord, today please help us to hear what you have to say and to come away from here changed and built up for your glory. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we just need help. We might find ourselves struggling at work. Or maybe we need support around the home, or with looking after our children. I can certainly attest to that. However, sometimes we can quite easily struggle to accept that help, the help that we need. For accepting charity can easily hurt our pride. And today's gospel uh, looks at this issue from a spiritual perspective. 
we begin with a man coming to Jesus. Jesus has been teaching large crowds uh, over the uh, River Jordan, and the man comes to him out of the crowd with a burning question. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? This seems a wise thing to ask, and who better to ask than Jesus? But Jesus' reply seems quite harsh. Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. He's not saying he isn't good, and he's not saying that he is unqualified to comment on goodness. But Jesus is saying that the man should know better. As a God-fearing Jew, as he seems to be, the man should have known that only the Lord is good. And he should have known that he in his own power, could not uh, aspire to that standard. Jesus goes on to say, keep the commandments. Again, a God-fearing Jew should have known this already. Moses had taught his ancestors, and the man could have, and almost definitely would have, read that law for himself. So the man's inquiry though genuine and heartfelt, is ultimately misplaced. He should have been able to answer his own question. And so Jesus, like a good teacher, seeks to draw this answer out of him. When the man asks which commandments he needs to follow, Jesus lists several. But he leaves out those which particularly relate to our relationship with God. You can see this if you compare the list of commandments that Jesus puts forward here and uh, the Ten Commandments. Again, the man should have realized what Jesus was doing, because I think Jesus left these commands out deliberately to spur the man on to think. The man should have asked, but what about me and the Lord? Isn't Jesus missing something here? And he should have remembered the standard that those commandments put forward, which is very, very high, and which no human can reach by themselves. We just can't meet the Lord's standards. But again, he misses the point that Jesus is making and answered instead, all these I have kept what else, um, what do I still lack? It's like he expects there to be something specific for him beyond what the general law says. He remains fixated on himself and his own efforts. In the face of this impasse, Jesus challenges him directly in verse 21 Go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor. And come, follow me. This the man just couldn't take. He left the scene heartbroken, unable to accept Jesus' answer. You see, he was rich, young, and capable. Nothing could stop him in this life. Why should anything stop him spiritually? He was able, in his own estimation, to meet 
any challenge placed upon him. That was the attitude that underlay his first question. He thought he could do enough by himself to be right with the Lord. But the source of his strength and confidence was his wealth. Without it, he would be weak, incapable, and ultimately dependent. He thought, in coming to Jesus, that he would be challenged to perform some great act and thereby gain eternal life. Instead, he was challenged in a much deeper way to change his attitudes and to give up on his inaccurate self-confidence. And by asking this of him, the challenge that Jesus presented was just too much and cut too deep. And so turning to the disciples, Jesus puts this incident into a wider context from verse 23. He says, It is hard for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is not too much of a shock for us. We're used to hearing about people who become rich by being ruthless or corrupt. But the disciples, as we see in the passage, were deeply shocked by this. They saw wealth as a reward for spiritual virtue. Hadn't Abraham and the patriarchs been rewarded in exactly that way in the Old Testament? So they asked a hugely important question. The most important that anyone can ask. Who then can be saved? If the seemingly virtuous couldn't be, then what chance did anyone else have? Jesus gives the answer that the rich young man should have come to himself, should have been able to see from the Old Testament scriptures. With man, this is impossible, he says. But with God, all things are possible. The rich young man could not save himself, and neither could the disciples. But they could all be saved by the Lord. What they needed to do was turn and trust in him to save them. In this, we are no different to them. We cannot be saved by our own efforts either. And any self-confidence that we have that suggests that we can is equally inaccurate. Just like the rich young man with his confidence in his wealth. So, if you are not a Christian this morning, know that you cannot be right with the Lord by yourself. Whether you're rich, like the rich young man, and feel that you can achieve anything. Whether you're well educated and think that you've perfected your own philosophy. Or whether you're a parent and you know the depth of love that you have poured out for your children. As good as all these things are, know that they cannot make you right with the Lord. That is impossible for us. Only trusting in the Lord, who has provided for us 
in Jesus, as we'll remember when we celebrate communion together. Only this can make us right with him. And yes, that might mean selling your possessions and giving to the poor. But it must mean abandoning our misplaced and inaccurate self-confidence and replacing it with confidence in Jesus and what he has done for us in dying and rising again. And what about us Christians? I imagine most of us here today would say that we trust in Jesus already. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Where the plants began to grow but didn't bear fruit because they were strangled by the thorns. Jesus said those thorns were the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. And so in the face of those pressures that each and every one of us face, our challenge is to keep relying on Jesus and not to be dazzled by riches of any kind that we might receive. To keep trusting in Jesus to save us day in and day out and to never slip back into trusting in ourselves. For that self-confidence would be as misplaced as the confidence the rich young man had in himself. And yes, for us, that too might mean selling our possessions and giving to the poor. That was what it had to be for the rich young man. Only each one of us can know what stands between us and fully trusting in Jesus. For what this story definitely points to is that we must leave our self-confidence and trust in Jesus alone. Following this, Peter asks his own question, speaking for the disciples. We have left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? This to my mind, suggests that perhaps he missed the significance of what Jesus had just said. But it does raise an important point. What would happen to those who sacrifice for Jesus, who give up their self-confidence, who make the rest of life secondary to him? Jesus answers... That in the renewed world, when he returns to rule, that the disciples would rule with him. And he said, too, that this would apply to all those who who sacrifice to put him first and to serve him. Whether those sacrifices are material or in terms of relationships which are made secondary to our faith in Jesus. And he promises that those who sacrifice in this way will receive great reward in addition to eternal life, 
granted by faith in him. This promise refers to the new world, to be established after Jesus returns. So we shouldn't expect a windfall every time we donate to the church. But we can be assured that when we make sacrifices to put Jesus first, that we are acting in a way that is secure. We're not throwing our lives and all that they can mean away. We are investing them instead in him. And we know that we can do this securely, for the Lord is just and faithful. This is not, however, a call to abandon our families or necessarily our material possessions. Few of us are called to be itinerant preachers in the way that the disciples were. But it is an encouragement and a reassurance that when we give of ourselves, that we can afford to do so boldly because Jesus is a good investment. And so to sum up, when we need help, it can be hard to ask because it can be painful to admit that we need help. And when we seek to be right with the Lord, it can be hard and painful to accept that we can't help ourselves. But the rich young man's experience teaches us that hard as it is, we must lay aside our inaccurate self-confidence. For salvation is impossible for us to achieve alone. But it is possible for God. And in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection on the third day, everything that we need has been done for us. And even, and in that context I should say, hearing the answer that Jesus gives to Peter assures us that we can go forward into that situation of trusting Jesus boldly, assured that we are secure to do so. And so, let us go forward today, trusting in Jesus and laying aside our self-confidence that we would be secure in our heavenly Father's hands. As the hymn writer put it, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you that though we cannot save ourselves, that all things are possible for you. Help us always to turn to you and to trust in you alone.